0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Projects at Work, and we're doing a podcast today all about mental health. And I'm very excited because Carson Pierce is back, and he has brought with him his better half, who is much smarter than he is. She's a (laughs) doctor. So, um, Carson and Krista, thank you for joining me today. Um, Krista, do you want to go first and tell everybody a little bit about your background and what you do?
1: Sure. So I'm a registered psychologist. I have a master's and PhD in educational psychology. And right now I have a private practice and see clients for counseling, therapy, and assessment. Uh, definitely focused on mostly anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, things like that. Um, so yes, a doctor, not a medical doctor, but a PhD doctor.
0: Okay, cool. And Carson?
2: You should have let me go first, Dave.
1: <laughs> it's all part of my plan
0: to discredit you along the way. Uh, yeah, for sure.
2: Um, I am a senior project manager at DDB Canada, so um, I handle most of our web projects there um, from a project management perspective, which uh, is probably the, the, some, in some ways the opposite end of the spectrum of what Krista does because I'm on the stressful side and, and taking in all the stress and anxiety.
0: <laughs> well, it's probably a good balance, I would imagine. I did think, Krista, I think it's great that on your website, you say that you want to create an environment that's comfortable, non-judgmental, and empathetic, which to me is the opposite of project management. Mm-hmm. But
1: And it's interesting how many people come to see me and haven't seen a counselor before, and their expectations are, you know, of movies we see where you're laying on the couch and talking about your childhood, and and that stresses a lot of people out. So just wanted people to know that you know, it's not like that. Those aren't the expectations that are going to have to be met, and it is definitely non-judgmental and client-led.
0: Okay, cool. So on the, on the mental health front and how that relates to project management, Carson, this all this podcast came about because you posted some stuff on the Slack channel that you host for all the digital PMs about the fact that that's something you're kind of thinking about doing some talks about. Um, Is there a specific kind of thing that incited that direction for you, like something that happened or some focus that you're kind of aiming at?
2: Well, I think in general, if you're a project manager, you know it's stressful and you know all the triggers that come with that and make your life difficult. Um, On the Slack channel, it comes up almost daily where um, to the point where the Slack channel has become almost a, a group therapy session. Uh, where people can come on and go, Oh, this is what happened to me today. And, and here's this, the struggles I'm facing. Um, and then we help each other through it. So that's, that's been kind of nice. But, um, uh, recently there was a comment made about the idea of project management PTSD or post traumatic stress disorder and, and saying that this is, this is a thing. This is what we face. And you can actually develop PTSD, um, uh, as a result of being a project manager and just our day to day work. So I took that idea home to my wife, uh, to say, you know, here's what we're talking about. This is pretty relevant to what you do. Um, what do you think? And then she, um, told me I was totally wrong. <laughs> Launched into you with an assault. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think, so just to kind of wind
0: it back a little bit, I think, I mean, anybody who's working in PM in project management, is obviously going to experience stress because our job is to try to control the uncontrollable. Mm. Um, I mean, I, and I know in, in my past, I think earlier on in my career, it was harder, but there was one job where I ended up with like an eye twitch and I got TMJ from what was going on. But that, Krista, that doesn't fit anything near criteria for PTSD.
1: No, PTSD, and we're used to hearing about it in terms of veterans, people going off to war, that sort of thing. But absolutely, it can be caused by a witnessing something like a car accident or someone you love being maybe held at gunpoint, knife point. Things like um, severe history of abuse and even things like maybe workplace, uh, like significant bullying or harassment, that sort of thing. But usually, like when you look in the DSM, the definition is pretty specific, talking about um, learning that a traumatic event uh, occurred to a close family member, or close friend, like maybe an actual uh threatened death or something that was violent or like sexually violent in nature. So it is a very extreme sort of situation in which someone would develop PTSD. But what you're talking about absolutely fits with significant anxiety. And it's funny when you mentioned about um project management being trying to control the uncontrollable. Because when I meet with my clients, that's usually almost exactly the definition I give of anxiety. The problem is people try to know what's happening to be in control and anxiety is not having a clue what's going to happen. And that causes a lot of anxiety. So interestingly, those definitions are almost exactly the same in my mind. It's it's an interesting uh, parallel there.
0: But we need to build ourselves up and make things very dramatic. So we have to talk about very <laughs> severe, you know, like my pro- my project was like a total murder scene and it left me with this That's horrible, right. scarring emotional effects. I think uh, you can feel like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, if you think about the fact that in what we do, Carson, the, the, the statistical success rate is 30%. Mm-hmm. You're going to fail at 70% of what you do. But there's always this expectation that we're going to hit 100%, even though nobody ever does.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not just the, the hard, you know, bottom line of, of success or failure. It's everything in between. So right from the beginning, the planning stages, they're saying, okay, we want you to tell us exactly what's going to happen for the next year, which is impossible. Uh, and then as you're working through it too, everything like your key developer gets sick for a week. Well, you can't control that, but we're supposed to have it all built out in this plan that goes perfectly. And yeah, everyone's looking at us to say, well, how come things aren't going the way you planned it? Well, we can't control everything, yeah. but we want to. We really want to. So Krista, do
0: you think that it's sort of a normal response to kind of make more of a mountain out of this? I mean, I can't imagine a PM's going to walk around going, oh, I'm suffering from anxiety and expect a bunch of sympathy. But if they're like, I've got PTSD, you know, suddenly they're supposed to get some kind of comforting from somebody. Is that normal to try to build it up?
1: That might be part of it, but I also think that in a way it might be just the difference between kind of layman's terms versus that diagnostic implication like you know a lot of us talk about I know I do anyway about being obsessive compulsive and I don't have that diagnosis I I don't have OCD but certainly I have some obsessive tendencies so you know I think what's happened is we kind of tend to throw some of this terminology around when it's not actually that specific diagnosis or we're not exactly sure maybe of the definition most people don't own the DSM it's very expensive. And I mean, if you're not working in the field, and it's dangerous to own it anyway, because you can easily <laughs> self-diagnose yourself with everything it's like in wa- the entire book.
0: It's like watching um, House, you get every sickness ever.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. That is so true. Um So I think it's partly that, yeah, it absolutely sounds more serious if it's framed that way. Because the thing is, anxiety, ironically, I think that uh, word or definition has become less significant. So people are like, oh, yeah, everyone's anxious, everyone's stressed. But anxiety in its own right is a diagnosable disorder, and there are lots of different types of anxiety that can be diagnosed, uh, similar to depression, whereas PTSD does sound much more significant, and it's not used as frequently. So, yeah, it makes the situation sound a lot worse when people are feeling such significant stress.
0: So I like that word disorder because that's... <laughs> <laughs> to me is really great example of I mean I think um, let me kind of ramble for a second I think project managers by nature are kind of a dysfunctional bunch we come from a background where we put ourselves or find ourselves in a career path where we're doomed to failure most of the time I mean there is going to be a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress and yet we keep going back um, is is there something that like when you get people like that don't you ever want to just shake them and be like stop it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and that's an interesting question because, you know, if you talk to someone about the definition of insanity, right, it's like doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But what's interesting to me is it seems like there's kind of two different types of people and obviously there's more, but who work as project managers. And some are, I think, quite sensitive and have a difficult time with conflict and confrontation and are finding it incredibly stressful. And then there are other people who absolutely it's causing them stress, but they kind of thrive within that sort of challenge. And so Carson, for example, I think he kind of appreciates the challenge sometimes where whereas he knows some other people who because of that sensitivity it makes it so hard to not feel like I'm doing everything wrong I'm not succeeding I'm a failure and so it's hard to find like I don't know if there's an exact right sort of personality to fall in that. Well
2: I think we're we do two different kinds of work in project management there's like sitting down and, and working through plans and Gantt charts and things like that which is takes one kind of mindset. And then there's dealing with teams and clients, which is totally on the other side of the spectrum, I think. And you don't, you don't usually find someone who's really, really good at both. So you're going to have a weakness in there somewhere. And that's where you're going to feel that failure point.
0: Well, one of the things I want to ask you, Carson, is do you think that the, the fact that you've been at this for a long time, and you have this level of experience is what has given you the resources or whatever it is that now allows you to be comfortable in a stressful situation that maybe you didn't have that at the beginning and it was all soft skills and panic. And now you're like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I've been hit so many times. I don't care.
2: Uh, Yeah. I think experience plays a big role. You you just learn how to deal with different situations as you, as you've gone through them, you realize, Oh, okay, this isn't that big a deal or, or I know how to uh, mitigate this particular problem. Um, But I mean, that doesn't help someone who's coming in and feeling a lot of stress because that's where you're going to feel it the most is when you're new to it. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, I've also had to rely on some other coping mechanisms uh, as I've built up that experience. And some of that would be, well, for me, um, just sort of having a a lighthearted or humorous view on most things has helped a lot where, you know, I'll get an insane client request and just sort of hang up the phone and you have to laugh. That's all you can do. So, um, well, you can scream cool. expletives too. I find that helps quite yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're <laughs> on the other side. Of but, um, but yeah, it's uh experience is good, but I think there's so many other things that we need to look at as well.
1: So, and I think. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I think with experience too, Carson has mentioned before that he's gotten a lot better also at taking that step back and looking at things more
2: objectively. I. You know what though, I. Eventually, do that. Usually, what happens? Right, not is the some, initial reaction. Something terrible will happen, and I'll freak out, and then inside, I, yeah, and then I just have to take a little time to calm down and reevaluate, and that that usually sets it straight. But
1: which is good though, because a lot of people don't get past the initial freak out. And aren't able to stop and look at things objectively. And, you know, conflict has gotten a really bad rap. Like, confrontation, conflict, people tend to think of it as a really negative thing. And it's taken me a long time to be more assertive and be able to address things head-on. Especially, I think Canadians are very good at being <laughs> a bit less so. Um, but, so it is a challenging thing. And people usually hear that word and think, oh my gosh, it's, I hate confrontation. It's horrible. It's negative. It's stressful. But, it doesn't have to be that way. It's just, it's gotten a bad, like the, the association with it is really negative. And when people practice, even I know that sounds a little silly, but if you practice, this is what I want to say. These are the main points. This is what has to come across because isn't it better to be upfront from the beginning than try to correct that problem part way through and have everybody mad at each other.
0: Well, don't you think maybe part of the issue is that they're maybe they're trying to be upfront, but they don't have the self awareness or the clarity as to what their motivator or their needs actually are?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Or or it can feel like for someone who is a little bit more sensitive and non confrontational, it can feel like you're being really, really direct, Mm -hmm. and then the other person just doesn't catch it at all.
0: Exactly. Which and you might get somebody like me who is purposely not catching it just to see what happens to you when I do (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) which is also interesting.
0: (laughs) So do you think that having a high level of emotional intelligence makes this job easier or harder from a stress
2: perspective? Um, For me, I think it's huge. Like um, I've, I've dug into emotional intelligence a little bit. I understand it a little bit, but not fully. Um, But certainly it seems like almost a prerequisite for this job. And it's not something that, Um, you, I don't think you're born with it or not born with it. It's something you can learn, um, but no one teaches it to you when you start to be a project manager. It's like, it is treated like you have it or you don't. So good luck. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: well, so if it's not emotional intelligence or Christy, you mentioned people are very sensitive to stuff like conflict and things like that. Um, are there skills that they can practice or ways they can learn to get better at coping with that stuff?
1: Yeah, I think I've met with a lot of clients who have difficulty being assertive, advocating for things that are important, whether it's with colleagues or with clients or being really straightforward about what needs to happen because they're afraid that they sound like they're being mean or they're not developing good rapport relationships. And I always suggest as cheesy as the sounds, but start with the small things. You know, if you're normally a person who never decides what movie to watch or where you want to go for lunch with your friends, start there. Say, no, you know, I'd really like to see it action movie this weekend. And it sounds silly, but you start small and you just build your way up and until you feel more comfortable in really putting your own opinion forward and, and being straightforward about things that in a sense don't matter as much because you'll build up your comfort level and be able to be more straightforward about the things that matter. And I think for a lot of people, it helps too if they have enough information or understanding of the reasoning behind why they're doing what they're doing because it's a lot easier if you can explain like this is why our budget is this way or this is why we're looking at this time frame instead of just feeling like i don't know that's just what we're doing but if you really have that good background info and can explain it you're going to feel a lot more confident presenting that information
2: i think being a project manager too you have to say no a lot and it can feel terrifying to tell a client for example no we're not going to do that or you know we're going to miss a date or whatever. Um, but I've found, and, and so we, what we do, I think is we avoid it, we put it off and then it does become a big deal. Um, but I've, you know, that's, this comes with that experience, but I've learned if, if I start talking about thing, those things upfront, right at the very beginning and, and set the, um, I guess the tone for the whole relationship of saying, of setting those boundaries and parameters, um, it, it becomes so much easier. And you realize, you know what? It's not the end of the world to tell a client no. So that practice, I think, has helped a lot on a, on a really practical level.
0: So, all right. So I want to stick with this for a second and, and go back to something I asked about earlier. Um, that What you just described is, you know, feeling like it's going to be the end of the world or we've all been in that state where we have to tell somebody something that we know they don't want to hear. We know they're going to blow up. And we've got like this ball of just angst in our stomachs and it's really hard to get out. And you can, I think you can practice the habits of being okay with that. But Krista, is there ways that, that people can become at ease with that and not feel that angst? Or is it more like, I have the angst, whatever, I'm going to do it anyway.
1: No, I think, well, first of all, it is important to do it anyway, because if people find themselves in situations where they're very anxious and they start avoiding those situations, they don't realize their anxiety will actually get a lot worse. So it is important to kind of force yourself through that situation. But another thing that can really help because the unknown is what's often causing that anxiety is it can help to sit down and come up with, okay, these are possible ways I think this client's going to respond or react. Okay, if they start yelling and throwing furniture, <laughs> this is worst case scenario. This is how I can respond to that. Here's my plan. This is what I can do. Maybe it'll go better than I expect, and they'll actually, you know, start crying and be really upset, but they're not going to yell or say anything mean or swearing. But so it's helpful to come up with these are all the ways I think that the person will respond. And given their response, this is how I can handle it because it'll take the mystery out of. Crap, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. And they're going to freak out. And then I'm going to start crying or whatever <laughs> is going to happen. I, I don't picture a lot of male project managers, but you never know. It happens.
0: It happens. Um, yeah, right. Dave cries all the time. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> um, weak.
1: But it really does help to take that mystery out of the anxious part of what's happening. And a lot of people accidentally get a little bit superstitious, even if they never are superstitious and they're afraid. If I imagine the worst case scenario, that's what's going to happen. But rationally, we know that's not true. Thinking about what could happen isn't going to make it happen. In fact, a person's going to feel a lot calmer if they have these are four possible scenarios. This is how I can handle each of them. You know, if they start swearing and yelling, I'm going to stop and take a couple deep breaths. I might even say, you know what, I'm just going to leave you to process for five minutes, then I'm going to come back. But whatever that plan is, they'll know how they can handle it if that sort of situation arises.
0: Do you advocate for them practicing with somebody?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a really good idea, even kind of a role play situation. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Exactly. If somebody's into that, I think that would be really helpful to have to be kind of put on the spot. How are you going to handle this situation? Especially if the person that you're role playing with will commit to like, I'm going to play this character and I'm going to follow through until you have a chance to until like, you not- cry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. But no, I think it would be very helpful because it does make you think about these are the steps I could take. This is what I could do, you know, and heaven forbid it gets this serious, but maybe in the end you have to call security, you know, and if that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. But at least then you have a plan of this is what I could do, or I could make sure that my, you know, supervisor is on standby somewhere close by, or I'm going to take a colleague with me because I'll feel more comfortable and they've been very involved in this project. Or, you know, and then at least the person knows, okay, it's not completely unknown. I don't have to just stand there and try to deal on the spot with this huge crisis, I can have some, some ways to deal with it.
0: So one of the things I think is so interesting about what you said is that as PMs, we're all taught to do risk management and risk analysis meetings and keep a register Mm -hmm. and things like that. And we may do that for our projects, but we
2: rarely do it for our own personal, you know, anxiety or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I think another example is anything that involves, you know, public speaking or presentations. And I know at my job, I I hated it at first, but if we were doing a client pitch for a new business, um, we would have to go through the material over and over and we would rehearse in front of each other, which, you know, f- seemed totally awkward to me. Um, and when we got to the end, we would actually do a practice Q&A where one member of our team would be the client and asking all the tough questions that might come up. Um, and it seemed so painful at the time. But then you get into the the presentation situation and go, oh, this is actually really quite comfortable because we've already done it.
1: Exactly.
2: Well, and the people in the room aren't, you know, in the actual client site,
0: they're usually not there to kind of trip you up. Whereas in the practice session, that is why they're there.
1: Yes, exactly. You've prepared
2: for something worse.
1: Yeah, exactly. And often I'm assuming they're coming maybe with questions from everyone else they're working with. And so it's not even just their questions, but they might've been told, you have to ask about this, you have to get the, you know, so it's not even just that individual client, it's their whole team or whatever back at their location.
0: Yeah. So if we can, if it's okay with you guys, I want to shift the focus a little bit. I want to ask what, you know, for each of you, what kind of things you recommend for somebody who is a PM and is struggling with this stress or anxiety, whatever they're calling it, Um, you know, maybe to the extent like I had on that project where I'm getting like an eye twitch, like what kind of external to work, what kind of things can they do to kind of take some of that away or to kind of fix it a little bit or to cope with it?
2: Um, I can only speak from, you know, a a regular project management (laughs) perspective, but, um, like most days I try to go to the gym at lunchtime. Uh, it, it breaks up my day and releases some of that tension that I may have been feeling otherwise. Um, I, try, I I really do try to take um, my evening and, and weekends outside of work. I just shut off um, and that helps to sort of distance myself from the stress and put it into perspective a little bit. Um, but everyone has their own strategies. I think um, having other people like I'm in a situation where really I'm the only digital project manager in the office. Um, so it's, and a lot of people, if you're working remote, that's always you're, you're by yourself. Um, so I think finding other people and that's what that Slack channel has been about is having those other people that I can connect with and, and share my stories with. Um, but that's just my, my one side of things. I think, Chris, you probably have a lot more general strategies for people.
1: And as some of it, I think, is a bit of a preventative measure, I think, in terms of setting those boundaries and starting the way you intend to keep going. So if you start with a client and you're responding to their emails at three in the morning, you're working 24 hours a day. Unfortunately, you've already set that boundary that you're okay doing that. And that's what will be expected moving forward with that project. And so I think that you have to start by showing these are my boundaries you know i'm not responding to and obviously there are times where i know that's not practical and in the the line of work that you guys are in yeah when deadlines are looming people do have to work late and, and have to work a ton of hours and sometimes it's not preventable but the times that it is i think it's really important to set that groundwork because once you're in the thick of it it's really hard to backpedal and change that but if you've started that way and have those boundaries set it can be really helpful and and then in terms of some general stuff you know it's important to get enough sleep a lot of us i speak for myself <laughs> only get five or six hours of sleep a night and that's not always a good thing you know we really should be aiming for seven or eight and again that can't always be that way but eating healthy, you know, getting out and getting some fresh air and sunshine. In Canada, we have a long winter, as most people know. And so, you know, it's important in places like that, make sure you're getting outside, getting some sun, getting that fresh air. um, And, Maintaining an ongoing plan for how can I try to relieve anxiety and that can be exercise that can be maybe every night I do a five minute meditation that's focused on deep breathing um, it that it doesn't take a long time, but it can be very helpful to get in a habit or a pattern of doing that sort of thing. So
0: you mentioned before that it's good to take small steps and I, and, and I think on the boundaries front for me. Um, setting boundaries with other people has been challenging, but the bigger and continual challenge is setting boundaries with myself. Like Carson, you talked about, you know, kind of turning it off during the weekend. I never turn it off. Mm. I can't. Um, and I don't, and I don't choose to, like that's a conscious decision that I've made, but I do have to carve out time each day and make sure, like, don't check your email first thing in the morning. You know, get up, have your coffee, read a little bit, meditate, then you can go to work. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like there's a, I think, If you think of a human being like a system that has to be maintained, there are activities or maintenance functions that we have to do each day that go beyond simply eating and sleeping. Um, Like you said, Carson, exercise. That's a big part of it for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, I think my previous job, I remember like, I would go to work every day for eight or nine hours, and I would come home and basically have my laptop glued to my lap every night. I was always, like you said, always on, always working on that stuff. I don't think I was getting a whole lot more done. I don't think I was any more effective. Um, I certainly feel like now that I do take those steps away, when I come into work, I am a lot more focused and I, you know, I can be in that zone and and get better things done, I think, than before. But it doesn't feel like it feels like if you have a lot of work, you got to keep on working. Um, but it's not just about the time. It's about the effectiveness of that time. So um, I, that was a lesson I learned and, and seems to be working out pretty well.
0: Okay, so Krista, I want to ask you a question about learning this lesson um, and I'm gonna just explain the situation and see if you can what how you want to comment on it uh when when I started to try to carve out that boundary like you know Carson said that he can close it off during the weekends and i and I found that that I can't do that I can't emotionally cope with the backlash um When I do block out small periods of time, I've learned to be okay with the anxiety that's building while I'm doing the things that are supposed to make me feel better, which do make me feel better. There's this thing that's creeping up going, you're not working, you're not working, you're not working. It's all falling apart. And then at a certain point, that's like this giant wave. How do you teach people to, or help them develop skills to kind of cope with finding some kind of balance level there?
1: So yeah, you mentioned an interesting point because I think for a lot of people, the reason they do what they do is to keep that anxiety at bay. And so definitely like when you're, you know, checking email or doing work on weekends or evenings, it's kind of keeping that, that monster down. Like it's kind of being satisfied somewhat, but it's still there in the background. And, and so, What happens, though, is whether it's that situation or another one similar to that is it's hard to ever really deal with the anxiety if a person is engaging in a lot of the behavior to try to keep it from getting bigger. So similar to let's say that a kid is really anxious about going to school. So it's easy, maybe initially to say, maybe they really are sick, I'll let them stay home. But then after a few days of that, or, you know, after a couple of weeks of missing several days, it gets harder and harder to go back. And so similarly, it's like, you know, doing all those things helps to keep the anxiety lower, but you have to maintain that level or more to keep the anxiety at an acceptable level; otherwise, it kind of gets out of control. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, to, I, I guess I always think of it like there's a steam valve; like the pressure builds up, and you have to let some of it out. Like when I talk to friends from Europe, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, we take August off." I'm like, "How do? What do you mean? Like I, <laughs> right. I would I would have to be put on medication to come off vacation if I didn't work for a month because I'd be so scared of what was waiting."
1: Right. Exactly. Mm. And so some of it is you know, when we force ourselves to, you know, maybe take that hour to, and even if we have to set a timer or something, you know, for that hour, I'm not going to do any of that stuff. It isn't a bad thing to have to sit with some of that anxiety and tell yourself, yeah, I'm anxious. I don't like this. It feels bad, but I can learn how to deal with this and take some deep breaths and kind of talk yourself through it a little bit. Um, but also it can be helpful to... And now I forgot what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> well, it's okay, because actually where you are is an awesome space. I mean, you're talking about mindfulness, people just seeing yeah, exactly. and being present with what's going on. And, you know, yeah, I feel I'm in a ball of knots. I'm super anglish, anxious, but you know what? The world's not going to stop.
1: No, exactly. And that reminds me, what I was going to say was sometimes it can be helpful to even take a piece of paper, sit down and think, okay, if I don't respond to emails, if I don't check emails, if I don't work on stuff for the next hour, what's going to happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? And so going back to that trying to think about what the worst case scenario would be and then how would I handle that? Because usually it's like, well, okay, I might miss an important email, but if I'm only taking an hour, I'll respond to that in an hour and probably not much would have happened. Like so, So often by just talking ourselves through that situation, trying to figure out what is the worst that could happen and how would I deal with it does give us some solutions and ways to handle that anxiety and it makes it a little more objective and black and white. When, especially if we're writing it down on paper to see exactly what could happen.
0: Yeah. So, Carson, on, on the creating the space for that stuff, for, for the time that you take away, do you have? is that something you have to have conversations
2: with your clients about? Um, I, I think a lot of that was set up front with those boundaries of, you know, they know when I'm going to respond to things and when I'm not. And, and that's not just with the client, that's with the team as well. Um, but I also, I, I've been thinking a lot about Parkinson's law and the idea that your work expands to fill the time that you give it. So if you give it all the time, including your evenings and weekends, you will find work to do in in all that time. But if you compartmentalize and say, I'm going to do my job from nine to five, Monday to Friday, um, you'll still be able to get that work done for the most part. I know there's some extenuating circumstances sometimes, but um, you know, it'll, it'll still fit in there. But I think another big thing that in a lesson I learned just recently was about managing workload. So, you know, we talk about how to, how to deal with how many different things you have on your plate, but maybe you just have too many things on your plate. Um, And so recently I had a situation where I I could tell my work was suffering and I think um, people around me could tell it was suffering as well. Um, And we really just had to get realistic about, do I have too many things? Because It's great that I'm doing 10 different projects, but if I'm only doing them at a 50% level, that's not good. It would be more effective if I did five projects really well. Um, And so we just reevaluated and paired off one of the projects to some other project manager, and it changed everything. Um, Not only in terms of how I was managing my workload, but also how um, effectively those projects get done. Okay. Uh, I think
1: so. Oh, sorry. Sometimes I think what happens too is if a person is doing a lot of work at home, evenings, weekends, it's hard for, let's say they're working for somebody else. It's hard for the people they work for to see, like their supervisors or whatever, that, Hey, you know what? Maybe we should actually hire another project manager because, well, obviously we don't need one. The work's getting done. So it's not like there's an overflow that's not happening. So sometimes it's useful in terms of like showing the management, this is what's happening. This is the workload. We actually need more people or we need to spread out somehow. But if if we're not allowing that to happen and we're doing it all ourselves, there's not an opportunity for anybody to see that. And then it just gets more and more on our own plate.
2: We have a guy at work right now that is is like that, where he, he'll say, man, I wish they would hire someone to help me with my workload. And he's saying that while he's working evenings, weekends, all the time. And um, not
0: taking responsibility for
1: putting that on his own shoulders i'm assuming yes
2: and so then nobody sees that so of course
1: and even if he approaches someone now they might actually be skeptical at first like well no like it doesn't look like we need somebody else Mm -hmm. so sometimes we have to be very obvious about not getting stuff done in a sense to show that we need more staff or we need more help. But, but people are sometimes afraid to ask for help because they also equate that with looking like they don't know what they're doing.
2: Or be, or you're failing or right. you're not very good at your job or whatever. Which well, I a- want
1: to ask you guys
0: a question about this. I want to interrupt for a second. So there was a guy that I worked with who was a client um, and, and I sort of picked up a habit from him. He, his voicemail, you could not leave him voicemail. He purposely left it full to capacity so that no <laughs> one could leave him voicemail. And he his response was, if it's really important, you'll find me. And I, and I thought that was, that wasn't really an approach that I wanted to take. But one thing that I did kind of borrow from that was I used to try to process all my email and I've just given up. I've let go of it and decided, you know what? I can't. It's too much. I'm looking at my phone right now. There's 1,788 unread <laughs> emails in my inbox. I'm going to do the best I can. But you know what? It's not all going to happen. And I'm just going to let go of that. Is that an unhealthy thing to do?
1: That number stresses me out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it used to stress me out too. But now I'm just like, yeah, I can't help it.
1: Like, it's too much email. Okay?
2: There's another guy that (laughs) I It
1: is a lot of email. That's for sure.
2: There's a guy who uh, apparently every time he goes on vacation, he comes back and he's got like, you know, hundreds or thousands of emails from his vacation time. And he just selects them all and deletes them. And he thinks... If they want me, they'll write back.
0: So, yeah, that I can't do. I can't throw anything <laughs> away, but I can
1: ignore it. It's, well, and that's the thing is, you know, if something is critical, the reality is somebody will contact you again or they'll try another method to get a hold of you. So, it like, you're right. It's such a huge number. It is hard to spend enough time to, and the reality is I know here anyway, sometimes I feel like I get caught in this strange email back and forth of thanks for the info. You're welcome. No, you're really welcome. Like, and what, how is that helpful? (laughs) It might be a Canadian thing. (laughs) We don't need 10 emails. Just replying to each other, thanking each other for thanking each other all the time. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And it's like, this is ridiculous. This is taking up space. It's not helpful. Just stop it. But The other thing I was going to say is, you know, I found obviously I'm busy in a different way than the two of you would be, but sometimes I found it kind of appeases my own anxiety, but doesn't necessarily cross the boundary. If, for example, I get an email late at night, I might respond and say, thanks for the email. I'll get back to you during my work hours tomorrow. Like, so that I felt like I've responded. They have something in their inbox from me, maybe one of those useless emails, but, but knowing that I'm also kind of setting that boundary that, hey, I'll give you a more complete response when I'm actually back in the office the next day. And so it kind of appeases some of that, gives them a quick response. Because this is the problem with email and technology. People get grumpy if they don't hear back within the first 30 seconds because it's all online. It's so fast. They expect to have that quick response. And that's partly why I think people always expect us to be working all the time. Well, you're on your phone, you're on your email. Why aren't yeah. they
2: responding? And I think if you respond quickly to people, they that's that's the the new expectation, the new boundary I guess that you've set. And so if you're yourself for yourself
0: and
1: for them.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. all of a sudden they're expecting you're going to respond to email every five minutes. Well then you better be responding to all of them that way,
1: right? Which is kind of why I do what I do, because it's like here's a response to kind of appease the other person, while also pointing out my boundary of my office hours. And so you kind of, in a way, feed both of those things, and it works out all right. Okay. Unless it's obviously critical. If someone emails me and says I'm suicidal, that's a whole other issue, obviously. But so sometimes there
2: are crises. You should write
0: back and say, yeah, contact me during work hours. I'll <laughs> yeah. Have
2: to help you Uh, if you're still still here. Yeah. (laughs) To a much lesser degree. I think that applies to project management too, though. Like if, if you're going through your emails, you can recognize or you should learn to recognize these are the emails that are critical and I need to respond to right away. And these other ones can totally wait.
0: Yeah. So what kind of parting words of advice do you guys have for people who are working in project management or any field that is, you know, bringing a lot of stress, maybe they're putting it all on their own shoulders, but, um, are there, is is there some sort of advice you can give them for how to learn to adapt or cope with this stuff better?
2: Um, I, I think for, I, I don't have the answers. Chris will have the answer to this one, but I, <laughs> I do want to kind of loop it back to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about PTSD and saying, no, 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 it's not PTSD. Calm down. Right. Um, but it's still serious. Like, Absolutely. This is, you, you know, you were talking about an iTwitch. I've heard stories about people getting like, actual diseases from the stress that they take on or
1: throwing up every morning before work or yeah, are you that. not supposed to
2: do that? <laughs> it's a good, good weight loss technique. No, it's not. Um,
0: That's yeah. why you drink in the morning. Yeah,
2: <laughs> But you know, it's as much as we can kind of dismiss the, the idea of PTSD, it's actually like the stress and anxiety and s- subsequently sometimes depression, all that stuff is really serious and we have to take it seriously Um, We can't just go, oh, it's part of the job or, I don't know, just wave it off. We have to look at it as a real thing and start talking about what it means and how we deal with it. Okay. Krista?
1: And at the risk of sounding like some sort of country song or something, but I think it is important to... Put a put yourself first and think, like, what do I hold as priorities? What do I hold as values and what's important to me? Because this job is not going to last forever. So when I'm done working, when I retire, I mean, you don't have to look too, too far ahead, but but what do I still want to have? You know, do I want my family to still be close to me or are they all estranged because all I did was work all the time? Like so it can be really helpful to sit down and write a list of Uh, your values. And if work is your top priority and value, fine. But a lot of people might end up putting like family or other things first. But if their job isn't reflecting that, there's obviously a disconnect there between how am I holding these values and priorities while I'm actually, and demonstrating that this other thing is the most important. And, you know, I I don't know, I tend to meet a lot of clients who who feel like they're being selfish if they're taking time for themselves. And I'm always like, that's not being selfish. That's self-care. You know, a person does have to really put themselves first sometimes to make sure that they're able to handle all of what they need to do with their job. And, you know, I feel like for a long time, All of those helping fields like nursing, counseling, things like that, self-care is talked about quite a lot, but not so much in fields like what you guys are in. And I think that also needs to change because obviously that is critical. So really taking care of oneself and, and noting what are my priorities? How can I demonstrate that those things actually are my priorities? Yeah, cool.
0: This was great. Thank you guys both for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: Um, it was really fun to talk to you. Thank yeah, you. Well, thanks.
0: So Krista, if people want to get in touch with you, they can go to KristaPiercePsychologist.com?
1: Yes, and I do online counseling. Great.
0: All right. So I will put up a link to that. And Carson, if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm at CarsonPierce.com.
1: But he only responds during... No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you got LinkedIn. <laughs> and what about this, the the Slack channel? If people are curious about that, how should they reach out to you for that?
2: Um, I think probably just emailing me and chatting about it. Uh, okay. It's a pretty small, tight community right now, but uh, we certainly welcome new people as well. So just emailing me at carson at carsonpierce.com. All
0: right. And we want to plug the conference.
2: Yeah. So the Digital Project Management Conference uh, is coming up in October in San Antonio, Texas. And it's going to be on October 12th through 15th, and Carson will be speaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's if if people who are listening have never gone, it's an amazing, amazing time. And you know, we talk about those connections being important for mental health, and really, this is where all those connections happen. At least for me, uh, it's just the speakers are amazing, but it's meeting people that are kind of of the same mindset and making those uh, those relationships that have been most important.
0: Yeah, it, it is an amazing space. I I find it to be one of the one of the few like. Truly completely inspiring conferences to go to. So I would also encourage I won't be there this year, but I encourage folks to go as well. And I'll put up a link to it. And thank you guys very much. Thank All you, right. have a thanks, great day. Dave. Yep. And enjoy your weekend of not working.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will.
0: Thank you. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Right. Bye.